0: Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, may the words in my mouth and uh, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer, amen. Oh, I'm probably gonna date myself uh, a little bit by uh, showing this to you, but out of curiosity, uh, how many of you are familiar with the, uh, the Magic Eye books? All right, I got a bunch of hands out here. Uh, you see, uh, these, uh, these uh, came out and started to get popular right around the time uh, I was entering into uh, to grade school. If you've ever seen one of these before, uh, then you probably know a thing or two about how they work, that they're filled with uh, a bunch of images, but those images aren't really the impressive part. Uh, the impressive part is uh, what happens if you look at those images in just the right way. So if you look at them in just the right way, uh, all of a sudden, something that wasn't so obvious uh, begins to appear. Now this, of course, is, uh, is not how this book was introduced to me. Uh, this book was introduced to me uh, because uh, my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Russell, decided that I was supposed to sit next to Alex Gallen in her fourth grade class. And uh, on a winter break that year, uh, Alex Gallen came back from break, and he had this book. See, his parents uh, had given it to him uh, for Christmas. And i never watch, i never forget the way that, uh, that Alex Gallon would read this book. See, it's quiet reading time. Uh, we're sitting there after lunch, and all of a sudden, Alex Gallen is staring at this page. Right here, this one. This page of butterflies. And he's staring at it intently for like two, three, maybe four minutes. And then all of a sudden he looks at me and he says, I see it. It's a star. And of course, uh, that makes absolutely no sense if you're 10 years old and you're looking at the guy sitting next to you. Uh, so you grab the book and you stare at it. And you stare at it. And you see nothing. And then then Alex, he has the audacity to look at me and say that I'm the crazy one. What I didn't know uh, is that, uh, that there's a certain way that you're supposed to use this book. So you're supposed to not just look at it, but look through it, almost like you're staring a million miles off into the distance. And then slowly, if you don't blink, all of a sudden, this hidden image begins to appear. And the instructions are printed right here on the back of the book. And this is something that Alex's parents had revealed to him. But it's not something that Alex had revealed to me. And so I'm I'm sitting there staring at this page like a fool, unable to figure it out. Now, I show this story uh, because I think this book serves as an illustration. I think this book serves as uh, an important illustration of an important facet of our faith, and that important facet is this. Unless God reveals his son to us, we're sort of like fools staring at a page trying to figure it out. And the good news uh, that we celebrate uh, today, Epiphany, which is actually yesterday, the good news that we celebrate on Epiphany is that God has revealed His Son, and, uh, and He's revealed Him to people like us. And it's, uh, it's with that thought in mind uh, that I want to turn our attention to, uh, to the reading that we just heard from Matthew chapter 2, uh, today's gospel reading. It's the story of these travelers who come from the East, uh, because just like Alex Gallen, they saw a star. Uh, Before we get there, a little bit of background and a couple of preliminaries are probably helpful uh, when it comes to this story. And the first thing you need to know uh, is that this story that we so often associate with Christmas uh, didn't take place the night that Jesus was born. Probably didn't take place the night after that, or the night after that. Actually, most scholars believe that it probably took place somewhere between a couple of months and to maybe even a couple of years after Jesus was born. And the reason why they think this has to do with a couple of details that we discover in today's reading. See, in verse one, uh, we learn when this story happens, and what Matthew tells us is that this story took place after. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And uh, if you want to know, or if you wonder, you know, well, well, how long after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, then uh, verse 11 gives us a couple of clues. You see, first, uh, we learn that Jesus uh, isn't living in a stable anymore. He's, uh, he's living in a house, uh, probably somewhere that Mary and Joseph would have rented for reasons that we have absolutely no idea And uh, and then there's this other clue. We discover that when the wise men find Jesus, uh, he is no longer an infant uh, or a baby, which is one Greek word, but instead what they find is a child. And what all that means is that when we sing a hymn like uh, We Three Kings of Orient Are, uh, which is a hymn that I actually really like, uh, we should probably be singing it like a year from now. Uh, Or, you know, maybe we shouldn't even be singing at all because uh, we don't really know that there were three people who came to see Jesus. Instead, what we know is that there were three gifts gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And uh, we don't even know that these people, that they themselves uh, were kings. Instead, they were searching for a king. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And finally, uh, this group of people, this group of travelers, they're not really from the Orient, at least the Orient as we understand it, places like China or Japan. Instead, they're simply from somewhere that is east of Jerusalem, east of Israel, maybe Babylon, maybe Persia. And so when it comes to the story, uh, there's a whole lot that we don't know, but there is one thing that we do know, and that thing is this. We know a thing or two about the identity of the people who come to visit Jesus, Uh, That they are called uh, magi or or wise men. Uh, But they're not wise in the sense that we understand wisdom. Instead, uh, they're wise in the sense that they were sorcerers or astrologers or, you know, practitioners of the dark arts. And uh, and this isn't the only place uh, that we encounter them in the Bible. Actually, uh, if you fast forward to the book of Acts, uh, we encounter magi on two different occasions. The first time happens in Acts chapter 8. We meet this guy named Simon the Sorcerer, and the word sorcerer in Greek, it's magi. And, uh, and if you know Simon's story, you know that eventually he turns from his wicked ways and he, he becomes a Christian. But this isn't the case with the, the second magi that we meet in Acts. Five chapters later, Paul and Barnabas, they're making their way through the island of Cyprus. They arrive in the city of Paphos. And, and there they meet this man who's just opposed to the gospel. And this guy, he's a magi. And he's, he's so opposed to the gospel that eventually Paul calls down this curse on him. He says, you are a child of the devil, filled with all kinds of deceit and trickery. And, and you know, that's when the Lord strikes this guy blind. It's kind of crazy. But all of it's to say that, uh, that when Matthew's first hearers would have heard that a group of magi from the east had come to visit Jesus they'd be thinking about a group of people that you should warn your kids about. And then they would be surprised that these kinds of outsiders, pagan outsiders from the East, would actually be interested in a king of the Jews. And then finally, finally, they would have been shocked. God had so gone out of his way to reveal himself to them. Now, earlier this week... Uh, I think it was on New Year's Day. Uh, I sat down to dinner and uh, I looked at uh, our oldest son, Grant, and I I wished him a happy eighth day of Christmas. And uh, without missing a beat, Grant looks back to me and he says, It's not Christmas, there aren't any presents. Now, that led to a, a couple of conversations uh, with him that eventually concluded with me saying that uh, the Christmas isn't just a, a day when we celebrate it. Christmas is uh, a season. And what uh, some of you may already know is uh, that that season is 12 days, and that uh, after those 12 days, uh, it's concluded by the celebration of something called Epiphany. And, uh, and the word epiphany in English, it comes from a Greek word that means manifestation or, or revealing. And the idea is that on epiphany, we celebrate the fact that God reveals his son. and it doesn't just reveal him to a select few. He, he reveals him to the entire world. You see, it's uh, for this reason uh, that for most of history, uh, epiphany has been thought of something like Gentile Christmas. Uh, Because it's the moment that the whole world begins to know and learn and discover that the good news of Jesus is also uh, for them. Not only that, uh, it's been celebrated oftentimes as the the most important holiday uh, having to do with the birth of Jesus, even more important for most of the church's history than Christmas. And and that's because uh, it hasn't always been obvious. See, it hasn't always been obvious uh, that the whole world would be included in this promise, or to put it another way, it hasn't always been obvious that people like you and I would be included in this promise. Maybe that sounds uh, strange, uh, but the reality is that people like you and I, most of us, probably have more in common with the magi in today's story than we do with people like Mary and Joseph, John and James, even people like Peter and Paul. That's not to say that we don't relate to these people, that we don't relate to, for example, the way in which Mary pondered the future in her heart, or the way that Joseph, all he wanted to do was be responsible, or the disciples, they they just simply wanted to follow Jesus. It's not to say that we don't relate to them, but it is to say that there's one rather significant difference between them and us. And, uh, and that difference is that all of them are Jewish. They're all descendants of, of Abraham. And so it's obvious that the promise of a Jewish Messiah would be for them. But it hasn't always been obvious that the promise of a Jewish Messiah would be for us. Because when you're an outsider... When you're, when you're someone like a magi, there are a whole bunch of things that just aren't obvious. And almost 30 years ago, when I, uh, I first encountered this book, it made absolutely no sense to me. I mean, Alex Gallon is staring at this page with a, a bunch of butterflies on it, and he's telling me that he sees a star, and when I can't see the star that he sees... He tells me that I'm the crazy person. But, you know, what strikes me is that, uh, that when it comes to our faith, it's, uh, it's really easy to be the Alex Gallon in the story, to take for granted something that first has to be revealed to us. You see, uh, the reason that Alex could see the star is because his parents revealed it to him. And, uh, and what they revealed, you know, it's printed right here on the back of the book. Uh, And all that brings me to Epiphany, because the good news that we celebrate on Epiphany is that God reveals his son, and, uh, and he reveals them to us. And what God reveals isn't something that's obvious. I mean, it isn't obvious uh, that there should be a promise, and it isn't obvious that we should be included. I mean, if anything, we should find ourselves on the outside because we're outsiders, We're, we're Gentiles. And in a certain sense, the promise of a Jewish Messiah was never really made to us. It was made to people on the inside. And even for people on the inside... The seriousness of our sin and our circumstances separates us from him. And yet, instead of staring at our lives like a bunch of fools, instead of staring at our lives like I stared at this book, God reveals his son. And and what he shows us is that even though we shouldn't be included, we are. You know, today's reading, it, uh, it actually gives us a picture of just how far God is willing to go uh, to include us, to make this promise known to us. You see, uh, today's reading isn't the uh, only time in, uh, in the Gospels where a group of people go looking for a king of the Jews. Actually uh, if you if you look it up uh, 18 different times in the gospels uh, people go looking for a king of the jews uh, but today's reading today's reading is the only time that people go looking for a king of the jews to worship him because the other 17 times they go looking for a king of the jews they go looking for him to kill him and eventually they do and you see, that's how far God is willing to go uh, to include you in the promise, to make it known to you. He's, he's willing to give his life. And, you know, it isn't obvious, just like it isn't obvious that, that three days later, Jesus would rise from the dead. But he reveals that to you. And he also reveals uh, that one day he's going to come back, and when he does, he's going to make all things Right. You see, uh, what we celebrate on Epiphany is that God reveals his son. He reveals him to you. And one of my favorite Christmas hymns uh, is the hymn Joy to the World. And, uh, and there's a line in verse 3 that recently stood out to me. Actually, it's, uh, it's the first line in this hymn, if you read through it, uh, that explains to us exactly why we would be singing joy to the world. I mean, why are we singing joy to the world? Well, verse 3 tells us. See, verse 3 tells us uh, that we are singing joy to the world because he, God, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. You know, the curse of sin, uh, it is found far. But what we celebrate today is that so are his blessings. And it's found as uh, as God reveals himself to pagan outsiders, magi, people who have come from the east, and it's found as God reveals himself to us. People who may not and certainly probably were not originally included in that promise. You know, none of this, uh, none of it is obvious. Uh, which is why God reveals it. And he reveals it to us. And uh, and in a world that is so often ambivalent and at times in opposition uh, and hostile, he uses us so that others uh, might know what isn't obvious, that there is a Lord. And uh, and the contrary to what so many uh, perceptions may say, this Lord loves us. And he loves us so much that he is born and lives and dies and rises, not just to make a promise, but to keep it. And so may God bless you as he he continues to reveal this promise to you, and may God bless you as he continues to reveal this promise through you, everywhere you go. In the name of Jesus, amen.